Hey, Bandcamp listeners, Dan here. I just wanted to let you know that in this episode, we touch on a sensitive topic, specifically suicide. So if you would prefer to skip that part, please feel free to fast forward from 33 minutes and 58 seconds to 34 minutes and 34 seconds. Your well-being is important to us, so please take care and enjoy the rest of this episode. Welcome to Bandcamp. I'm Jennifer. And I'm Dan, and this is a podcast where we read a banned book and try to figure out why in the heck the book was banned in the first place. And this season, we're reading Fahrenheit 451, the classic by Ray Bradbury. We read this book out loud one chapter at a time. Neither Dan nor I have read it, so if you are also new to the book, welcome aboard. If you're new to the show, since we are reading this sequentially, you may want to start with the first episode of the season. Yeah, we're only six. This is only episode six, so it'll be quick. You'll It'll be easy to catch up. Exactly. And uh, Dan does a recap at the beginning of every episode. He's about to give one, so spoilers ahead. If you don't want to hear the spoiler and you want to start at the beginning... Now's a good time to do that. So the last section ended and we found out a major character, namely Clarice, has potentially died. She was run over by a car and Mildred just told Montague that and now he is trying to fall asleep after finding out his new friend. In fact, I would go as far as saying his best friend Hmm. died. Right. Now he's all lonely and alone again. And it's sad because he's just waking up. He's just kind of coming into his own as like being, wow, this this dystopian future kind of sucks. Yep. And with that being said, let's get into the next part of Fahrenheit 451. He had chills and fever in the morning. You can't be sick, said Mildred. He closed his eyes over the hotness. Yes, but you were all right last night. No, I wasn't all right. He heard the... Quote, relatives shouting in the parlor. Mildred stood over his bed, curiously. He felt her there. He saw her without opening his eyes. Her hair burnt by chemicals to a brittle straw, her eyes with a kind of cataract unseen but suspect far behind the pupils. The reddened, pouting lips. The body as thin as a praying mantis from dieting. And her flesh like white bacon. <laughs> Sorry. White bacon. I was all on board with the whole thing. Okay. (laughs) Sounds very inhuman to me. (laughs) Will you bring me aspirin and water? You've got to get up, she said. It's noon. You've slept five hours later than usual. Will you turn the parlor off, he asked. That's my family. Will you turn it off for a sick man? I'll turn it down. She went out of the room and did nothing to the parlor and came back. Is that better? Thanks. That's my favorite program, she said. What about the aspirin? You've never been sick before, she went away again. Well, I'm sick now. I'm not going to work tonight. Call Beatty for me. You acted funny last night, she returned, humming. Where's the aspirin? He glanced at the water glass she handed him. Oh, she walked to the bath again. Oh, man, Mildred is a real head case. He asked her 15 times. I don't think she's very invested in him or his sickness at all. She she just doesn't care. Exactly. You have to go to work today. No, I don't feel good. Well, who's going to buy the fourth wall TV unit? It's really sad. God. She walked to the bath again. Did something happen? A fire is all. I had a nice evening, she said in the bathroom. What doing? The parlor. What was on? Programs. What programs? Some of the best ever. Who? Oh, you know. The bunch. 
Yes, the bunch, the bunch, the bunch. He pressed at the pain in his eyes. And suddenly the odor of kerosene made him vomit. Uh-oh, he's going to have a hard time doing his job oh, if, the, if the kerosene is going to make him vomit. So he did vomit. Yeah, he did vomit. Oh, God. Mildred came in humming. She was surprised. Why'd you do that? That is a perfect <laughs> wife right there. Perfect loving wife. He looked with dismay at the floor. We burned an old woman with her books. It's a good thing the rug's washable. She Jesus fetched a <laughs> cold, cold and dead hearted. It's a good thing the rug's washable. She fetched a mop and worked on it. I went to Helen's last night. Couldn't you get the shows in your own parlor? Sure, but it was nice visiting. She went out into the parlor. He heard her singing. Mildred, he called. She returned, singing, snapping her fingers softly. Aren't you going to ask me about last night, he said. What about it? We burned a thousand books. We burned a woman. Well, the parlor was exploding with sound. We burned copies of Dante and Swift and Marcus Aurelius. Wasn't he a European? Something like that. Wasn't he a radical? I never read him. He was a radical, Mildred fiddled with the telephone. You don't expect me to call Captain Beatty, do you? You must. Don't shout. I wasn't shouting. He was up in bed, suddenly, enraged. I would be on the phone. I would be in the yellow pages looking up Muppet Divorce Agency so fast. <laughs> it would make your head spin. God. Oh, my gosh. He was up in bed, suddenly, enraged and flushed, shaking. The parlor roared in the hot air. I can't call him. I can't tell him I'm sick. Why? Because you're afraid, he thought. A child feigning illness. Afraid to call because after a moment's discussion... The conversation would run so. Yes, Captain, I feel better already. I'll be in at 10 o'clock tonight. You're not sick, said Mildred. Montag fell back in bed. He reached under his pillow. The hidden book was still there. Mildred, how would it be if, well, maybe I quit my job a while? You want to give up everything? After all these years of working? Because one night, some woman and her books. You should have seen her, Millie. She's nothing to me. She shouldn't have had books. It was her responsibility. She should have thought of that. I hate her. She's got you going, and next thing you know, we'll be out. No house, no job, nothing. You weren't there. You didn't see, he said. There must be something in books, things we can't imagine. To make a woman stay in a burning house, there must be something there. You don't stay for nothing. She was simple-minded. She was as rational as you and I, more so, perhaps. And we burned her. That's water under the bridge. Oh, my God. <laughs> like less than 12 hours ago. She is, like, hard. Couldn't you just say, Mildred, suppose it was against the law to have the TV walls on. And the fire department came in and burnt your precious TV walls. But see, that's the thing. It's like, unless it's you. I know so many people where it's like, if it doesn't affect them, it doesn't bother them. Right, right. Whereas me, it's like, I ain't gay. But if there's some law or some ruling against gay people, I get really yes, upset. Me too. It's not right, you know? Right. Yeah, I hear you. So I, I know plenty of people actually just like Mildred. I actually know very many people close me to me that are just, you're not sick. <laughs> or, or, or just, you know, being so cold hearted. And I could easily see this coming into play. All like right. people are like this. Yep. I know. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. No, not water. Fire. You ever seen a burned house? It smolders for days. Well, this fire will last me the rest of my life. 
God, I've been trying to put it out in my mind all night. I'm crazy with trying. Oh, so he's got like PTSD going on here. Yeah. I don't blame him. No. A woman was burned. I don't think I'd ever. I mean, even if I just saw a woman right. being burned, I don't think I'd get over it. Well, that's why. So in the last episode, it was the entire team was pissed off that why was there a bug in the system and the cops didn't move this lady out? Like we yeah, yeah. shouldn't have to deal with this. Yeah. I'm crazy with trying. You should have thought of that before becoming a fireman. Thought, he said. Was I given a choice? My grandfather and father were firemen. In my sleep, I ran after them. The parlor was playing a dance tune. This is the day you go on the early shift, said Mildred. You should have gone two hours ago. I just noticed. It's not just the woman that died, said Montag. Last night, I thought about all the kerosene I've used in the past 10 years. And I thought about books. And for the first time, I realized that a man was behind each one of the books. A man had to think them up. A man had to take a long time to put them down on paper. And I had never even thought of that before. He got out of bed. He has made the turn. He is not coming back. Montague is a changed man. I think so, too. Yeah. It took some man a lifetime, maybe, to put some of his thoughts down. Looking around at the world and life, and then I come along in two minutes and boom, it's all over. Let me alone, said Mildred. I didn't do anything. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> me, 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 me. Self-centeredness. Jesus. Wow. Let you alone. That's all very well. But how can I leave myself alone? We need not to be let alone. We need to be really bothered once in a while. How long is it since you were really bothered about something important, about something real? And then he shut up, for he remembered last week and the two white stones staring up at the ceiling, and the pump snake with the probing eye, and the two soap-faced men with the cigarettes moving in their mouths when they talked. But that was another Mildred. That was a Mildred so deep inside this one, and so bothered, really bothered, that the two women have never met. He turned away, so he realizes that she's disassociated with herself. Yep, yep. Oh, it's sad. Mildred said, well, now you've done it. Out front of the house. Look who's here. I don't care. There's a Phoenix car just drove up and a man in a black shirt with an orange snake stitched on his arm coming up the front walk. Is Beatty doing a house call? It is Beatty. Captain Beatty, he said. Captain Beatty. Montag did not move, but stood looking into the cold whiteness of the hall immediately before him. Go let him in, will you? Tell him I'm sick. Tell him yourself. She ran a few steps this way. A few steps that, and stopped, eyes wide, when the front door speaker called her name, softly. Mrs. Montag? Mrs. Montag, someone here, someone here. Mrs. Montag, someone's here. Montag made sure the book was well hidden behind the pillow, climbed slowly back into bed, arranged the covers over his knees and across his chest, half sitting, and after a while, Mildred moved and went out of the room, and Captain Beatty strolled in, his hands in his pockets. Shut the relatives up, said Beatty, looking around at everything except Montag and his wife. This time, Mildred ran. The yammering voices stopped yelling in the parlor. Ah, Beatty's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Beatty sat down in the most comfortable chair with a peaceful look on his ruddy face. He took time to prepare and light his brass pipe and puff out a great smoke cloud. Just thought I'd come by and see how the sick man is. How'd you guess? Beatty smiled his smile, which showed the candy pinkness of his gums. 
and the tiny candy whiteness of his teeth. I've seen it all. You were going to call for a night off. Montag sat in bed. Well, said Beatty, take the night off. He examined his external matchbox, the lid of which said, guaranteed, one million lights in this igniter, and began to strike the chemical match abstractedly. Blow out, strike, blow out, strike, speak a few words, blow out. He looked at the flame. He blew. He looked at the smoke. When will you be well? Tomorrow. The day after, maybe. First of the week. Beatty puffed his pipe. Every fireman, sooner or later, hits this. The only need under... Oh, so this has happened to other people before. Hmm. Hmm. Every fireman, sooner or later, hits this. The only need understanding. To know how the wheels run. Need to know the history of our profession. They don't feed it to rookies like they used to. Damn shame. Puff. Only fire chiefs remember it now. Puff. I'll let you in on it. Mildred fidgeted. Beatty took a full minute to settle himself in and think back for what he wanted to say. Do you think Beatty was like this once in this position? And they were like, well, you can either go this way and become a fire chief and really like be the one to burn things. Or you can be the one to get <laughs> <that> burned. <burns. laughs> right. Yeah, maybe. I kind of suspect Beatty was in this position before. Because he knew all the quotes and everything. He's clearly a smart guy. And he he's showing some kind of understanding for Montag. Like he understands yeah. where Montag is right now. So he must have been through so, it So like when Montag forgot his helmet two episodes ago, and then he's just standing there looking at his hand in the last episode, mm-hmm. he's probably like, oh no, I've seen this a billion times. Somebody's becoming aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. When did it all start, you ask, this job of ours? How did it come about? Where? When? Well, I'd say it really got started around a thing called the Civil War, even though our rule book claims it was founded earlier. The fact is we didn't get along well until photography came into its own. Then, motion pictures in the early 20th century, radio, television, things began to move mass. Montag sat in bed, not moving. And because they became mass, they became simpler, said Beatty. Once... Books appealed to a few people, here, there, but then the world got full of eyes and elbows and mouths. Double, triple, quadruple population. Films, radios, magazines. Books leveled down to a sort of paste pudding norm. Do you follow me? I think so. I'm not following. What does he mean by that? Ray Bradbury is saying that the job of censoring and banning books started around the time of the Civil War, but it really took off with the rise of photography, movies, radio, and television. As more people started consuming these forms of media, everything became simpler and more standardized. This led to a loss of individuality and diversity in literature, as different perspectives were flattened into a uniform pace putting of content. Pace pudding implies a loss of variety, creativity, and originality as everything becomes blended together into a monotonous and unremarkable huge pile of crap. Thank you, robot. Beatty peered at the smoke pattern he had put out on the air. Picture it. 19th century man with his horses, dogs, carts. Slow motion. Then, in the 20th century, speed up your camera. Books cut shorter. Condensations. Digests. Tabloids. Everything boils down to the gag, the snap ending. Snap ending, Mildred nodded. Classics cut to fit 15-minute radio shows, then cut again to fill a two-minute book column, winding up at last as a 10- or 12-line dictionary entry. I exaggerate, of course. The dictionaries were for reference, but many were those whose sole knowledge of Hamlet, 
You know the title certainly, Montag. It is probably only a faint rumor of a title to you, Mrs. Montag, whose sole knowledge, as I say, of Hamlet was a one-page digest in a book that claimed, Now at last you can read all the classics. Keep up with your neighbors. Do you see? Out of the nursery into the college and back to the nursery. There's your intellectual pattern for the past five centuries or more. So how far into the future is this supposed to be? I do not know. Five centuries? I'm sorry for butting in, but to answer Jennifer's question, this passage suggests that the events in the novel are set in a future that is at least five centuries ahead of the time the book was written. This time frame implies a significant passage of time, highlighting the long-standing societal trends of intellectual simplification that have shaped the world depicted in the novel. So, I think the world is full of a bunch of dum-dums. Um, Robot, you must have got a software upgrade. I like that you're just bumping in when we need you. Mildred rose again and began to move around the room, picking things up and putting them down. Beatty ignored her and continued. Speed up the film, Montag. Quick, click, pick, look. I now flick here, there, swift pace, up, down, in, out. Why, how? <laughs> this is really... Jesus Christ, what the hell is going <laughs> on here? Oh my gosh, okay, where was I? I now flick here, there, swift pace, up, down, in, out. Why, how, who, You're what, your heart where, shot into it, Jennifer. It's tough, okay. Digest, 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 digest. Politics, one column, two sentences, a headline. Then... In midair, all vanishes. Whirl man's mind around about so fast under the pumping hands of publishers, exploiters, broadcasters that the centrifuge flings off all unnecessary time-wasting thought. Mildred smoothed the bedclothes. Montag felt his heart jump and jump again as she patted his pillow. Right now she was pulling at his shoulder to try to get him to move so she could take the pillow out and fix it nicely and put it back. <laughs> don't touch your pillow, don't touch your pillow, don't touch your pillow. <laughs> and perhaps cry out and stare or simply reach down her hand and say, what's this? And hold up the hidden book with touching innocence. School is shortened, discipline relaxed, philosophies, histories, languages dropped, English and spelling gradually, gradually neglected, finally almost completely ignored. Life is immediate. The job counts. Pleasure lies all about after work. Why learn anything save pressing buttons, pulling switches, fitting nuts and bolts? Let me fix your pillow, said Mildred. No, whispered Montag. The zipper displaces the button, and a man lacks just that much time to think while dressing at dawn, a philosophical hour, and thus a melancholy hour. Okay, I am freaking out right now. All I am thinking about is this book coming out of the pillow. All I'm thinking about is my uh, no-tie, no-zip slip-on sketchers. They do make my life easier. And, you know, for the kids, I don't have to teach them how to tie a knot. And there's nothing wrong with not knowing that. That's what's bothering me about this. Like, my dad, he learned how to do all these knots in the Boy Scouts. Different various knots. So right. why do Why do I need to know that? I don't need to know that. And it seems like right. there's like a sadness that that's, that sort of skill is lost. Why? Well, and it's like even knowing like, well, you have to know how to do all this math. You can't use a calculator. Well, why not? My watch has a calculator built in. Why wouldn't you take advantage of tools? It's a tool. That's exactly what I was about to say. It's a tool. If you know how to do the math, why not use a tool to make it easier, simpler, concentrated, digestible? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're freaking out about a book, though. Yeah. Well, I, mean. I think with with uh, old uh, uh, 
fuss a budget there. What's a good word for Mildred? I don't even know what fuss a budget. God, damn, I hate that. What's a good word I can make fun of old Mildred? About? Fuss budget. <laughs> what, what is what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, nosy, uh, 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 busy two shoes. Busy two <laughs> What am I talking about, Jen? You know what I'm talking about. Busy bee. Busy body. Busy body. You know, Miss, Miss Busy Two Shoes. <laughs> no, I am freaking out because Miss Busy Body Mildred over here is like, I gotta, I gotta fix your pillow. You've never fixed the pillow your entire life. Now <laughs> the guy, my boss, is here, and now is the time you have to make sure my pillow is right. Because the TV's off. She, she's like, she's got to do something. Go turn the relatives back on. <laughs> God, I'm like having a fit. <laughs> Get away, said Montag. Life becomes one big pratfall, Montag. Everything bang, boff. Wow. Wow, said Mildred, yanking at the pillow. For God's sake, let me be, cried Montag passionately. Beatty opened his eyes wide. Mildred's hand had frozen behind the pillow. Her fingers were tracing the book's outline. And as the shape became familiar, her face looked surprised and then stunned. Her mouth opened to ask a question. Empty the theater save for clowns and furnish the rooms with glass walls and pretty colors running up and down the walls like confetti or blood or sherry or sauterne. You like baseball, don't you, Montag? Baseball's a fine game. Now Beatty was almost invisible, a voice somewhere behind a screen of smoke. What's this? asked Mildred, almost with delight. Montag heaved back against her arms. What's this here? Sit down, Montag shouted. She jumped away, her hands empty. We're talking. Beatty went on as if nothing had happened. You like bowling, don't you, Montag? Bowling, yes. And golf? Golf is a fine game. Basketball? A fine game. Billiards, pool, football? Fine games, all of them. You know what I would do right now if I was Montag? I got Mildred pissing me off. I got Beatty over here giving me, I uh, went to the Wikipedia page of lists of games. Now he's reading off the list of games. I would just start thinking of kerosene and I just went out to just a volcanic stream of vomit and I'd aim it like a fire hose, fire, aim it at Beatty, Mildred, everyone, everyone. <laughs> Guys, I don't know if anyone picked up on this. I am sick. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> like I'd look like, uh, what's your name from The Exorcist? <laughs> Reagan. God. More sports for everyone. Group spirit, fun. And you don't have to think, eh? Organize and organize and super organize super super sports. More cartoons and books. More pictures. The mind drinks less and less. Impatience. Highways full of crowds going somewhere. Somewhere nowhere. The gasoline refugee. Towns turn into motels. People in nomadic surges from place to place. Following the moon tides. Living tonight in the room where you slept this noon. And I the night before. Mildred went out of the room and slammed the door shut. The parlor aunts began to laugh at the parlor uncles. Mm, now she's let's. She's back in her little stupid yeah, world. She's like, fine. Well, would, would you not want to hang with uh, Beatty at a cocktail party? Man, oh this guy's God. a real blowhard. He's got to just pontificate every chance he gets. It's pretty insufferable. Now let's take up the minorities in our civilization, shall we? Bigger the problem, the more minorities. That sounds like Republicans on the House floor. 
God. Jim Jordan making an appearance in Fahrenheit 4. Oh, my God. Did Ray Bradbury invent Jim Jordan? Ray Bradbury, author and future teller. Bigger the population, the more minorities. Don't step on the toes of the dog lovers, the cat lovers, doctors, lawyers, merchants, chiefs, Mormons, Baptists, Unitarians, second-generation Chinese, Swedes, Italians, Germans, Texans, Brooklynites, Irishmen, people from Oregon or Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) The people in this book, this play, this TV serial are not meant to represent any actual painters, cartographers, mechanics anywhere. The bigger your market, Montag, the less you handle controversy. Remember that. Oh, so everyone the same is what he's saying. I mean, everyone, I guess, has to have a hook or it's not going to be interesting. Everything needs to be uniform. All the minor, minor minorities with their navels to be kept clean. Authors full of evil thoughts. Lock up your typewriters. They did. Magazines became a nice blend of vanilla tapioca. Books, so the damn snobbish critics said, were dishwater. No wonder books stopped selling, the critics said. But the public, knowing what it wanted, spinning happily, let the comic books survive. And the three-dimensional sex magazines, of course. <laughs> what the heck? The three-dimensional <laughs> sex magazine. Is that like a pop-up? <laughs> I can't, I guess. I'm sorry, it's a funny idea. It's really funny. <laughs> there you have it, Montag. It didn't come from the government down. There was no dictum, no declaration, no censorship to start with. No. Technology, mass exploitation, and minority pressure carried the trick. Thank God. Today, thanks to them, you can stay happy all the time. You are allowed to read comics, the good old confessions, or trade journals. Yes, but what about the firemen then? asked Montag. Ah, Beatty leaned forward in the faint mist of smoke from his pipe. What more easily explained and natural? With school churning out more runners, jumpers, racers, tinkers, grabbers, snatchers, flyers, and swimmers instead of examiners, Critics, knowers, and imaginative creators, the world's intellectual, of course, became the swear word it used to be. You always dread the unfamiliar. Surely you remember the boy in your own school class who was exceptionally, quote, bright, did most of the reciting and answering while the others sat like so many leaden idols, hating him. And wasn't it this bright boy you selected for beatings and tortures after hours? Of course it was. We must all be alike. Not everyone born free or equal, as the Constitution says, but everyone made equal. Each man the image of every other. You know what, though? It's like, we can't all be intellectuals, though. I, it just bothers right. me. Right. Like, because it's defeating his own argument. Everyone's different. Some people are intellectual. Some people are dum-dums. It's all good. It's all necessary, but everyone's different. I, I don't, uh, this is what is causing that crunching sound in my brain right now. Oh, because we can't hear it out in the real world, Jen. That's only going on inside that gourd. Each man the image of every other, then all are happy, for there are no mountains to make them cower, to judge themselves against. So, a book is a loaded gun in the house next door. Burn it. Take the shot from the weapon. Breach man's mind. Who knows who might be the target of the well-read man? Me? I won't stomach them for a minute. And so when houses were finally fireproofed completely, all over the world, you were correct in your assumption the other night. There was no longer need of firemen for the old purposes. 
they were given the new job as custodians of our peace of mind, the focus of our understandable and rightful dread of being inferior. Are people really afraid of being inferior? I, I'm not. I know I am. You know, like I, I can judge myself against other people. In fact, I thrive. I am <laughs> I am the best there is at being inferior. In all seriousness, really? I actually do believe that. Right. I think I'm just like a normal person or whatever. Some things I'm smart at. Most things I'm kind of adult. But it makes you strive though, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In totally. here, it's in here he's suggesting that it makes you feel defeated or bad or something. And so I mentioned my friend Bart in the first season uh, mm -hmm. of, of this podcast. And mm -hmm. if if Barth, I know Barth is, is listening because he's a listener. Anyway, Barth was the smart kid in my class. Okay. And when he said that the smart kid was the kid that you all wanted to beat up. Yeah. I didn't want to beat Barth up. I could easily. <laughs> easily I could take him. But I always wanted to get closer to him because he was really smart. And I thought some of his smartness would uh, drip down on me. Never did. Is that the only reason? Well, I don't want to beat anyone <laughs> up. What are you talking about? Exactly. Exactly. I don't want to beat anyone up either. I don't get this. Jim Jordan? Well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> they were given the new job as custodians of our peace of mind, the focus of our understandable and rightful dread of being inferior. Official censors, judges, and executors. That's you, Montag, and that's me. The door to the parlor opened, and Mildred stood there looking in at them, looking at Beatty and then at Montag. Behind her, the walls of the room were flooded with green and yellow and orange fireworks, sizzling and bursting to some music composed almost completely of trap drums, tom-toms, and cymbals. Her mouth moved, and she was saying something, but the sound covered it. Beatty knocked his pipe into the palm of his pink hand, studied the ashes as if they were a symbol to be diagnosed, and searched for meaning. You must understand that our civilization is so vast that we can't have our minorities upset and stirred. Uh, look at my African-American over here. Look at him. Ask yourself, what do we want in this country above all else? We love our Hispanics. People want to be happy. Isn't that right? Haven't you heard it all your life? I want to be happy, people say. Well, aren't they? Don't we keep them moving? Don't we keep them fun? That's all we live for, isn't it? For pleasure, for titillation. You know, the thing with me, though, that isn't fun for me. Like, I, I mean, I'm really having a hard time with a lot of the philosophy of this book. I think it's supposed to make you feel like saying what I just said. Well, that's not me, though, right? Well, because yeah. you're supposed to identify with Montag and Clarice. Well, maybe the the dissonance is that Beatty is also trying to put himself into this now. Yeah. He's like an evil Clarice. Huh. Everyone at some point in their life hits this fork in the road, and you can either go Clarice or you can go Beatty. And really? they both probably feel 100% right. Hmm. Well, well, keep going. Maybe it'll come more into focus for me. That's all we live for, for pleasure, for titillation. And you must admit, our culture provides plenty of these. Yes. Plenty of titillation out there. <laughs> Jesus. With those 3D, <laughs> the 3D magazines. Books. God. Montag could lip read what Mildred was saying in the doorway. He tried not to look at her mouth because then Beatty might turn and read what was there too. Colored people don't like little black Sambo? Burn it. White people don't feel good about Uncle Tom's cabin? Burn it. Someone's written a book on tobacco and cancer of the lungs? The cigarette people are weeping. 
burn the book. Serenity, Montag. Peace, Montag. Take your fight outside. Better yet, into the incinerator. Funerals are unhappy and pagan? Eliminate them too. Five minutes after a person is dead, he's on his way to the big flu. The incinerator is serviced by helicopters all over the country. Ten minutes after death, a man's a speck of black dust. Let's not quibble over individuals with memoriams. Forget them. Burn all. Burn everything. Fire is bright and fire is clean. So I say, I, but, but everyone's unhappy too, though. Like, I don't, I, I don't get it. I really think it's about like creating this lack of critical thinking. Hmm. Interesting. It's the lack of critical thinking combined with lack of empathy. Because you, you can be dumbed down, but still have plenty of empathy and caring about people. It's the deadly combination of the two of them. What if the fork in the road that I mentioned earlier, you know, where you're going to get to this point where you can go one direction and be somebody like Clarice and go the other direction, be somebody like Beatty, and both probably believe you're 100% right, just kind of based on that level of empathy you have. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's dumbing down to America because maybe what he's saying is, and this really does sound elitist, and I'm not truly trying to sound elitist, but maybe the dumber people get, the less empathy they have. Mm -hmm. And they're they're just more about me, me, me. Like Mildred yes. is me, me, me. Like she literally walked in and saw him throw up. And three seconds later, he said, I'm going to call in sick today. You can't call in sick. You're not sick. I just friggin' threw up in front of you. But on the other hand, she also took sleeping pills, tried to kill herself. I don't think you can ever take the humanity out of humans. I think it's a lot of denial because it's like denying your own humanity. Because that definitely happened in my grandmother's generation in Germany. But like they, they had to block so much off and stop being a human to yeah. get through the hell they were living in. I'm not making excuses, but I understand where individuals just had to lie, 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 and deny, deny, deny. And that's where atrocities happen, you know? And it does kind of boil it down to the simplest thing. It's like fire is bright and fire is clean. It's like it just takes everything away. It takes, takes all the problems away. Like it's kind of like suicide in itself. I don't know if you've ever had thoughts of suicide, but it's like so much shit you can't deal with just being a human and being alive. You're like, I'll just, it's all done. I'll just stop it. And then I won't have an issue anymore, you know? But it's like, it, it is, it's like suicide of the civilization, suicide of humanity. Just burn it, burn it, burn it, burn it. Takes care of the problem. Let's just keep moving on here. Okay. The fireworks died in the parlor behind Mildred. She had stopped talking at the same time. A miraculous coincidence. Montag held his breath. There was a girl next door, he said slowly. She's gone now, I think, dead. I can't even remember her face, but she was different. How, how did she happen? Beatty smiled. Here or there, that's bound to occur. Clarice McClellan, we've a record on her family. We've watched them carefully. Heredity and environment are funny things. You can't rid yourselves of all the odd ducks in just a few years. The home environment can undo a lot you try to do at school. That's why we've lowered the kindergarten age year after year until now we're almost snatching them from the cradle. We had some false alarms on the McClellans when they lived in Chicago. Never found a book. Uncle had a mixed record, antisocial. The girl? She was a time bomb. The family had been feeding her subconscious, I'm sure, from what I saw of her school record. 
She didn't want to know how a thing was done, but why? That can be embarrassing. You ask why to a lot of things, and you wind up very unhappy indeed. If you keep at it, the poor girl's better off dead. Yes, dead. Luckily, queer ones like her don't happen often. We know how to nip most of them in the bud early. You can't build a house without nails and wood. If you don't want a house built, hide the nails and wood. If you don't want a man unhappy politically, don't give him two sides to a question to worry about him. Give him one. Better yet, give him none. Let him forget there is such a thing as war. If the government is inefficient, top-heavy, and tax-mad, better it be all those than that people worry over it. Peace, Montag. Give the people contests they can win by remembering the words to more popular songs, or the names of state capitals, or how much corn Iowa grew last year. Cram them full of non-combustible data. Chalk them so damn full of fact they feel stuffed but absolutely brilliant with information. Then they'll feel their thinking. They'll get a sense of motion without moving. I was watching and- Regis and Kathy Lee. They'd always used to have these contests. Somebody called in to win their trivia game. You know what the trivia question was? No. Okay, Jennifer. Jennifer from Seattle, everyone. She's going to play the big game. Fill in the blank, Jennifer. Batman and blank. <laughs> that was it. No way. Robin. That's right. That's right. That was a tough one to a dead person, maybe. <laughs> Oh, my God. That is ridiculous. Yeah. So that's a contest people can win. Okay. Ray Bradbury hated Regis Philbin. Hated him. He must have hated uh, game shows. Did you ever see, like, I I used to watch Wheel of Fortune. Did you ever see that one? It's just a little video clip circling, but I saw it live because I used to really just like that show for some reason. All right. Don't be ashamed about it. There was one puzzle, and the answer was self-portrait, and some of it was shown like you could tell the first word was self the second word started with a p it had an o and an a in it and the woman answered with self potato <laughs> I, I don't know why that is so self potato it's just the funniest combination of words <laughs> love it they'll feel like they're thinking they'll get a sense of motion without moving yeah, old self be- potato lady there. She probably <laughs> thought, nailed it. <laughs> and they'll be happy because facts of that sort don't change. Don't give them any slippery stuff like philosophy or sociology to tie things up with. That way lies melancholy. Any man who can take a TV wall apart and put it back together again, and most men can nowadays, is happier than any man who tries to slide rule, measure, and equate the universe which just won't be measured or equated without making man feel bestial and lonely. I know. I've tried it. To hell with it. So bring on your clubs and parties, your acrobats and magicians, your daredevils, jet cars, motorcycle helicopters, your sex and heroin, more of everything to do with automatic reflex. If the drama is bad, if the film says nothing, if the play is hollow, sting me with the theremin loudly. (laughs) sting me with the theremin loudly was the theremin like brand new back then it's that instrument right it's it's the electronic (laughs) you play you play it with your hand it's in all the sci-fi movies yeah yeah it's a sci-fi instrument (laughs) i'll think i'm responding to the play when it's only a tactile reaction to vibration but i don't care i just like solid entertainment oh and that is solid you got to admit that uh, 
a squeaky bullshit noise that that thing makes. Beatty got up. I must be going. Lecture's over. I hope I've clarified things. The important thing for you to remember, Montag, is where are the happiness boys, the Dixie duo, you and I, and the others. We stand against the small tide of those who want to make everyone unhappy with conflicting theory and thought. We have our fingers in the dike. Hold steady. Don't let the torrent of melancholy and drear philosophy drown our world. We depend on you. I don't think you realize how important you are. We are to our happy world as it stands now. Beatty shook Montag's limp hand. Montag still sat as if the house were collapsing about him and he could not move in the bed. Mildred had vanished from the door. One last thing, said Beatty. At least once in his career, every fireman gets an itch. What do the books say, he wonders. Oh, to scratch that itch, eh? Well, Montag, take my word for it. I've had to read a few in my time to know what I was about. And the books say nothing, nothing you can teach or believe. They're about non-existent people, figments of imagination, if they're fiction. And if they're non-fiction, it's worse. One professor calling another an idiot. One philosopher screaming down another's gullet. All of them running about, putting out the stars and extinguishing the sun. You come away lost. Well then, what if a fireman accidentally, really not intending anything, takes a book home with him? Montag twitched. The open door looked at him with its great vacant eye. A natural error. Curiosity alone, said Beatty. We don't get over-anxious or mad. We let the fireman keep the book 24 hours. If he hasn't burned it by then, we simply come burn it for him. Oh, that's creepy. Wow. Of course. Montag's mouth was dry. Well, Montag, will you take another later shift today? Will we see you tonight, perhaps? I don't know, said Montag. What? Beatty's eyes looked faintly surprised. Montag shut his eyes. I'll be in later, maybe. We'd certainly miss you if you didn't show, said Beatty, putting his pipe in his pocket thoughtfully. I'll never come in again, thought Montag. Get well and keep well, said Beatty. He turned and went out through the open door. End of passage. Be funny if he said, uh, one last thing, Montag. Yes? Who are we? <laughs> We're the happiness boys. <laughs> What's that? We're the Dixie duo. That a boy. <laughs> keep the book. Read it for 24 hours. So he knows. So clearly, Beatty yeah. knows that he took a book. He's kind of like this scary, like when your parents know something that you're trying to keep secret, but they want you to admit to it or something, or yeah, they're trying to solve like the issue without without bringing, bringing it, it up. up. It's the same thing that happened when my mom and dad found my 3D sex book under my mattress. <laughs> it's time for PPP problematic points to ponder. What, if anything, would be considered banworthy in this chapter? So, Dan, did you hear anything in that book that was problematic or banworthy or anything along those lines? Yeah, I don't really see anything banworthy in here. Although, I guess obviously they did talk about the 3D sex book. What about you? Yeah. So, so basically, just just that topic. They brought up uh, adult themed material and heroin. Or drugs. So th those are the only two. And I, I'm not sure those are ban worthy. I guess it depends on what you want to try to protect your kids from. And of course, who doesn't want to protect their kids from all bad stuff? Well, but the, the way to, to do it is, I mean, even Nancy Reagan was like the whole stupid just say no thing. You're talking about drugs to the kids, right? You're still bringing oh. it up. Yeah. What's the difference if they hear about it in Fahrenheit 451 or 
what is it called? Not don't say gay. Don't don't also don't say gay. Listen, got a couple of things here. Don't say gay. Don't say guns. Don't say no. Don't say no. It's it's not don't, don't say no. Don't say no. <laughs> That's right, kid. Don't say no to anything. Say yes to everything. Oh, say no to drugs, right? So like it's it's brought up in both. Luckily, we don't have a drug problem anymore in America. Thanks to <laughs> Nancy's War on Drugs. That's correct. <laughs> say no to drugs and say yes to life. So that is it for this episode. As always, we don't ask you of anything. Very few things we ask of you, the listener. What do we always ask, though? Uh, follow the podcast by subscribing. That helps us a lot. Yeah. Or share. Share, or both. share, share. Share to share. Share with people you love. And if you think we're annoying, share with people you hate. All right, that's it, everybody. Thanks for being here, and we will talk at you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.